HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Bordeaux Wines. Red, white, rosé, there's a reasonably priced wine for everyone and for every occasion. For more information, visit bordeaux.com slash US. Today's program is brought to you by Campari. For more information, visit campari.com. Hey, everyone. This is David Tatashore, lead engineer and studio manager of the Heritage Radio Network, and I'm reaching out to ask for your support during our end-of-year fund drive. A contribution in any amount supports our weekly programming and our mission to make the world a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious place. Plus, you'll receive exclusive member benefits like monthly playlists, discounted event tickets, party invitations, and more. So if you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough our way. Make your gift at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Happy holidays from all of us here at Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. Uh, when I'm not hosting In the Drink, I make a small amount of wine in Italy. It's organic wine made in Abruzzo and a little bit in Campania. And uh, you can find this wine at really great restaurants around New York City, like Charlie Bird, The Nomad, Pasquale Jones, Osiri Marini. Oh, yeah, and Piora. And we just happen to have the wine director of Piora in the studio today. She is a good friend of mine. She also makes a beautiful Amaro called Aster Amaro um, that's made all from New York foraged botanicals and sweetened with New York honey. Um, Victoria James, welcome to In the Drink. I am so excited to have you here. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me in. Um, tell us about uh, Pure. I'm excited. I'm going to be joining you on Saturday. Uh, um, I've heard only great things will be my first time, but I was a fan of the chef's food for a long time now. Yeah, Chef Chris is awesome, and we're so excited to have you in. You're really in for a treat. We have some great wine, great food, great cocktails. It's like, you know, West Village uh, cool. 
Yes. Yeah, I loved uh, the review, the New York Times review of uh, talking about Chris. And uh, I went to uh, Tenpenny from like the very first days of that restaurant. <laughs> Back in the day. And it was, uh, you know, his food was just so outstanding. And it said, finally, you know, Chris has a space that is kind of worthy of how good his food is. Um, and now I'd also argue there's a, a wine director that also <laughs> is worthy of how good that food is. Uh, Too uh, kind. <laughs> Uh, All, right. All right. Thank you, David. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, working with Chef Chris is awesome. His food is so thoughtful, um, and the flavors are just insane. Uh, some people call him the vegetable shaman because I've never tasted vegetables this good. It's insane. And his pastas, I mean, I know, you know, pastas are really your specialty, Mr. Italian over there, but uh, <laughs> you're going to be blown away this Saturday. Uh, well, I, I, I love pasta, but I'm not, uh, I, I'm just happy to eat good pasta wherever it comes from. I, I'm, I'm not that, that picky, actually. <laughs> um, and h- how do you go about putting your, you know, your spin on this wine list? And uh, uh, I, you have such an interesting list. You have wines from Switzerland and Morocco by the glass. I mean, you don't <laughs> see that every, you know, everywhere. Uh, how do you go about putting this together? Yeah, uh, so I really try to focus on the classic regions, of course, like Burgundy and uh, you know Piedmont. But it's also kind of you know you have to stay relevant and you have to keep things interesting as well. So when I go to cool places like Switzerland and Morocco, I mm-hmm. try to discover the wines there and bring them back for those people that maybe can't afford the plane ticket or you know really have the time. And they're doing some awesome, awesome stuff there. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really a shame you don't see more Swiss wines or more Moroccan wines here in New York on lists. Yeah. I've, I've always heard that it's with Switzerland. They like the wines are really high quality, but they tend to drink them all there. I know they're luscious, <laughs> but they also <laughs> but don't you, need you them. visited recently. You visited Switzerland? No, not oh. since, unfortunately, not since 2013 Okay, or 14, maybe I'd 14. Say, I'd say that's kind of recently. More or less. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I would love to go back. Uh, but the cool thing about Switzerland are they make these like really mineral driven, fresh wines, mm-hmm. like the kind of wines that are just perfect with food and lots of fondue or, or pastas. But unfortunately, 99% of the wines are not exported. They mm. drink them within their vintage. They don't hold a lot oh, of really? things back. It's just the culture there, and they don't really need the money, so they're not really keen on sharing. Right. Yeah, they don't need to try to sell it all. All that's so much work. Yeah, it just is. drink it. Well, yeah, what's the big deal? If you don't need to sell it, bye. But you did go to Morocco recently, if I remember from your Instagram. Yeah. What was that trip like? <laughs> it was it was awesome. It was highly unusual. Uh, we took the ferry over. We were in southern Spain mm-hmm. uh, in the Sherry region, uh, and I, so I was there going to different bodegas, and then we took the ferry across to Tangier, and this was sort of more of just you know a pleasure trip uh for vacation if you will but i had to squeeze in at least one winery and we visited the oldest winery in the country right outside of casablanca uled taleb and uh really remarkable because it's not what you would think of when you think of a winery you know Uh, it's in the middle of nowhere it's hard to get to there's uh you know the community there they're not necessarily wine drinkers Mm -hmm. you know there are a lot of uh uh, religious, uh, you know, beliefs that kind of prohibit the sale of wine to is uh, uh, those who are Islamic, but it's kind of not really strictly followed. So it's a very interesting uh, cultural study. Yeah. But the wines there are really, really cool and really great. Uh, they do a lot of work with Syrah. So Alan Grayo from Crozer Hermitage in the Rhone Valley uh, started biking down there and discovered this property and started a collaboration making Syrah with them. So 
it's it's sort of in between old and new world in style, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It was a good yeah. is it a good trip for a wine lover as well. I mean, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. I mean, definitely don't go expecting to be pampered like you're going to Napa Valley. Right. Uh, you're kind of in the middle of nowhere, and it's it's desert, and it's it's very very exotic. Um, you know, the, the the bathroom situation is a little questionable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it's a lot of fun for those who have you know a sense of adventure. I highly recommend it. So we met. Uh, when you were a sommelier at Morea, which I think is one of the greatest restaurants I've ever been to, actually. I think it's an outstanding (laughs) restaurant. Uh, The food, the wine, the space is just absolutely beautiful. But if I I remember you thinking that you're like this young prodigy, like maybe you were 22 years old or something (laughs) and you're a sommelier at Morea. Tell me if that's not accurate, but like, how did you, how did you get into it? Uh, And I think, and from what I can tell, at a very kind of young age. Um, well, I, st- I, st- I grew up in the restaurant industry, so okay. I started working in a diner when I was 13 and kind of progressed to server, uh, to bartender, and then eventually I fell in, fell in love with wine and spirits and beverages. And so when I became 21, I was like, well, I want to become a sommelier. So I studied and took the intro, and I took the certified and landed a job at Oriole, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And um, then the job with an Alta Morea and the Morea group opened up and... I don't know. I just I fell into it. It's a really cool restaurant. Michael White is awesome. So I I don't know. It just happened. Yeah. So I think you have some pasta chops too. Wherever <laughs> uh, he works there, in that octopus pasta. Oh, the fusilli. Yeah. The fusilli. It's like that's be one of the best pastas around. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty delicious, and you know, great to pair with too. It calls for like heavier reds, like Alianico <laughs> and such. Maybe a Nona. <laughs> Well, I mean, we have to work on that one. Yeah, yeah. that'll be great. Um, and then, how did uh, how did this uh, job come about at uh, at Piora? Well, I loved being a sommelier, but I kind of wanted to run my own program mm-hmm. and find something that was really special that I could really put my mark on. And the previous wine director of Piora, Kyle Riddington, was leaving and going to sell wine on the, on the other side of things. So. I heard about the opportunity and went in for an interview and met with the owner, Simon Kim, who is awesome. He's awesome. He's yeah. so cool. Uh, and we hit it off right away. And I think we have a very similar vision and drive in a lot of ways. So we're growing and the company's expanding. We're opening up a new restaurant in a few months. I didn't know that. Yeah. Where is that going to be? Tell us all about it. So it's in the old Mihoko's 21 gram space. So uh, 22nd and Broadway from the mm-hmm. Flatiron area. So it's going to be a much larger concept. Uh, and I won't spoil the surprise, so I'll let him tell you more about it. But it's going to be a play on the Korean steakhouse barbecue with some awesome wines. Yes. I mean, that's one issue with uh, any of the Korean barbecue places. It's, it tends to be all beer when you go there. All beer or like really shitty mockley or soju. We're gonna have some some pretty cool things, and we're gonna have an innovative cocktail program, and cool. it's gonna be it's gonna be very awesome. It'll be like the cook your own, or yeah. So you get to cook on the table, yes. and you get to also have like awesome wine, awesome soju, awesome cocktails. Love it. It's like it's the dream, really. I <laughs> what love else it. Do you want? Yeah, I think that you know that's. I've definitely found a lot of my like restaurant industry friends too. Like, like to go to K Town after after exactly. work, it's satisfying uh it's usually somewhat reasonable though you can yeah. you can spend some money on good meat if you go to like 
new baked jong or exactly so but picture that and then having awesome mags of burgundy yes it's gonna be like everything you've ever wanted why doesn't that exist already (laughs) Um, it's going too soon (laughs) oh that's awesome that's super exciting uh and then what will your role kind of change will you sort of uh move there or yeah so i mean it's it's definitely going to expand so the idea is i'll kind of go between the two places and um get a sommelier to look out after peora as well as the new restaurant and kind of you know, go between the two and, and manage both properties. That's super exciting. Yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be super fun. Well, it's something else that you're working on right now. I mentioned at the top is Astro Amaro. I've been smelling it all show. I haven't actually had a chance to try it oh, yet. Come on, it's almost can noon. I, yeah, can, take a swig. It's okay. Here we go. <laughs> I love Amaro. Yeah. How did you get in? How did you get involved in this? Oh well, when I was at Morea, I started uh, just out of curiosity. We had a forager, and I thought that was way cool. So I started going on outings with him, and learned a bit about foraging, and then worked with other foragers as well, just as a hobby. Mm. And there's only so many like summer salads and infusions and tinctures you can make. So I started making a small batch of maros just in my kitchen with all the leftover roots and herbs and botanicals, and then. I gave it to friends as a Christmas gift uh, one year, and everyone was like, this is amazing. You need to actually make this and bottle this. So hopefully in the spring, we'll, it'll be first released onto the New York and California market. It's beautiful. It definitely reminds me of the style of like the uh, Varnelli Herborista. Exactly. Um, with the honey being the sweetening, comp- sweetening component, yeah. but also uh, it being very dry, but mm-hmm. not... Uh, not intensely bitter in a way, uh, just nicely, subtly bitter. Yeah. It does have a, the bitterness is for sure present. And Mm -hmm. I really like, that's my favorite, uh, Mara actually is the Varnelli's Herborista. And we also, Ah, there you go. go, Perfect tasting notes. Um, we also smoke the roots over an open wood fire as well. Interesting. So that gives it a a nice smokiness. (laughs) Where do you have an open wood fire? Where's, where do you produce this? (laughs) So this was actually, I had a, a very lovely friend, uh, blue Terramoto who just opened up a wine shop in the East village called convive. And he has a house up by Woodstock and so we, you know, <laughs> with his permission, crashed at his place for pretty much the entire summer and uh, would go out foraging mm. during the day and then come back, have a, you know, a few cocktails and then roast uh, some roots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I know Blue and uh, Jesse is involved yeah. in that one as well. Jesse's awesome. Who I've known for years at New York Vintners. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when you're out foraging, do you have an idea like, okay, I'm going to try to get this herb this bark yeah. i mean or do you say oh that looks good i'm gonna grab some of that like how did i've never gone foraging well it's it's okay well first of all you have to come up this spring because it'll be a lot of fun um bring your dog okay <laughs> and um you definitely set out because there's a specific recipe and you need to collect those ingredients but it's also like a treasure hunt so then you you know you find for example you know wild sorrel or trout lily and you're like great let's collect this and we can have this as a snack mm-hmm. while we're roasting the roots um, but yeah, there's a lot of things you have to find and sometimes it's difficult because you think they should be in a certain place because you've studied the microclimate and then you get there and holy shit, they're not there. So you're like, ah, oh, man. Wait, so you have to study <laughs> microclimates of forests? Like, how do you learn about this in the first place? Are there foraging books and guides? Yeah, and, I've oh. read a lot of foraging books and guide uh, guides. The best, I think, is... Uh, uh, Steve Brills. Mm. Uh, he's called himself the Wildman, and he does tours around New York and Connecticut and Pennsylvania. And he has a few books that are uh, essential. But then you can also go out with him and learn all about the different microclimates as well. Uh, and they're actually, you'd be surprised, there are a lot of foragers within uh, New York State. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard about, is he the guy who also like forages in Central Park? Yes, yes, yes. I don't uh, know if I would necessarily 
consume those. Okay. okay. <laughs> but um, it's, it's fun to identify them and learn a lot, and you don't have to travel too far out of the city. Mm. That's a long finish. Uh, yeah, I'm still tasting. It's really complex and delicious. Yeah, that hasn't by, been diluted yet, so that's barrel strength. <laughs> oh, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It's, it, it's not unbalanced, though. Right. It's pretty so what, what strength is this right now? Uh, that's at like around. Fifty percent or so. Uh, I think we haven't sent it out yet to the lab, but it's uh, around probably like forty to fifty percent. Okay, and what are you going to dilute it down to? Nineteen. Oh, to nineteen. Yeah, it's going to be super light, almost like an aperitif style. Oh, fun. Yeah. And do you think people will use this as a digestivo or as an aperitivo cocktails? What? I mean, I think you know. It, I, I think it would be great as an aperitif and digestif. Mm-hmm. I think cocktails could be a little tricky because it is so, you know, the flavors are so subtle. Mm. But, you know, to be honest with you, people can do whatever they want with it. It's, you know, that's the fun in it, you know, the whole experimentation. As long as they buy it. <laughs> as long as they buy it and enjoy it. How much is your first release? How many bottles are you making? Oh, it's super small. It's like 60 cases. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, 800 bottles, give or take. It's tiny. <laughs> that's super tiny. Yeah. But what's the production schedule? Like, how does someone... You know, how long does Amaro have to age? Like, how did, okay, so here's another question. How did you learn how to make Amaro? Well, you know, that was also asking a lot of people questions, uh, being very annoying and studying. So I went to the Fernet uh, Branca uh, factory in Milan mm. and asked them a lot of annoying questions mm-hmm. and uh, not emulating their style, but just kind of figuring out how long it should be in barrel. When do you dilute it before and after? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you sweeten it? What's that process like? And how long do you macerate things for? And at what proof? Because, you know, you don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to have the roots and the bitters be too burnt by the alcohol so it's lots of questions and lots of trial and error so there was about six months of experimenting in in my kitchen before taking it to green hook ginsmiths where it's made now oh we love steve and the whole folks at green hook ginsmiths yeah green hook ginsmiths is awesome and it's even so fun and so talented and the stuff he's making is really innovative um within new york okay so you bring the I mean, you're getting the distillate from him or you're doing the whole process at his, at his distillery. So, um, I don't have a distiller's license, so okay. he's, oh, yeah. he's technically making it. Um, cool. and I'm consulting if you will. Uh, so I bring in, I go foraging on the weekends and then bring in all of the different herbs and roots and, uh, I give them to him and, uh, we chat a bit and figure out how to macerate it. And we kind of, it's kind of like making tea, you know, almost. And then you take it out and then you add in the next batch mm-hmm. every single week. So it's really at the end of the summer, it'll represent the entire spring and summer season. Cause every week you're changing out and adding new botanicals and no, and new roots. So will each one have like a different batch? Will there be a way to tell if this is, Right. What's the what's the whole like life process of it? So then, at the end of uh, end of the summer, you have this uh, single batch that's mm-hmm. representative of all the seasons. So we don't separate them; uh, we macerate them all together. And each year, we'll put a date on it, uh, so you'll know what year it was made. And so far, we've only made two years. Um, so there's definitely a huge difference, though, uh, that you can taste. Yeah, it's truly a snap. It's almost like a vintage. It's like yeah. it's <laughs> microclimates and the snapshot of the entire year. Exactly. Super, super cool. Okay, on that note, we actually have to take a very quick break. Uh, we'll be back with more uh, with Victoria James from Peora and the soon-to-be-released really delicious Aster Amaro. I feel honored to have had a, a preview of it right after this. <laughs> And this one's called Whiskey and Wine by The Hollows. We'll be right back.
Bordeaux is one of the most reputable and well-known wine regions in the world. While many are familiar with its legendary first growths, there is so much more to discover. Bordeaux offers a dynamic and diverse range of wines, different styles, different colors, and different price points. Did you know that Bordeaux produces crisp, refreshing whites? Or that many of its outstanding reds can be open now and don't need years aging? Or that it's really easy to find a great bottle of Bordeaux for under $20? With such a diverse offering, Bordeaux wines can pair with a huge mix of contemporary foods and cuisines. Bordeaux wines. Red, white, rosé. There's a wine for everyone. For more information, visit Bordeaux.com slash US. Straight and narrow is a very thin line. I can't seem to pick a side. So blame it on the whiskey and wine. When you talk about Campari, one of the first things that comes to mind is the inimitable and ubiquitous Negroni cocktail, a favorite of Heritage Radio Networks. Joe Campanelli, host of In the Drink on Heritage Radio, talks about the interesting history of the Negroni cocktail. The, the classic Milano Torino, which is better known as the Americano cocktail, which is Campari, good red vermouth. Use good red vermouth like Carpano Antica formula, Contrado, Cocchi Vermouth Torino, one of those, and soda water. Then later on in its uh, history was transformed into the Negroni, which substituted good gin for the soda water, something a little bit stronger. Count Negroni spent many years traveling the Midwest, the Southwest of the United States, found a penchant for strong drinks, and later went to London where he started to like his gin, brought that all back to his favorite bar in Florence and said, I'll take one of those Americano cocktails, but make it stronger, make mine with gin. And such was birthed the Negroni cocktail. Um, and now it's really popular. I find that people are asking for Negronis with agave-based spirits, uh, mezcal or tequila Negronis, especially mezcal, a little more popular. Um, so mezcal Negronis are really delicious. Experiment with your own Negroni recipe and enjoy it with Campari for a perfect cocktail creation. For more information, visit Campari.com. Please enjoy responsibly. All right, we're back on In the Drink with Victoria James of Piora and Aster Amaro, which is not yet released, but will be in a few months. Um, and I keep thinking about how good this Amaro is, how much it reminds me of Varnelli. Um, I know you spent some time in Italy, but have you been over to that area where no, Varnelli, never, the Sibylian Mountains? Uh, it's beautiful. So this is like northern Abruzzo, southern Marche area, very close to where Emidio Pepe is. Actually, <laughs> if you are at Emidio Pepe, mm -hmm. uh, you can see the Sibylian Mountains. You can oh, see wow. Varnelli uh, from uh, from there. Gotta go. You gotta go. <laughs> uh, I imagine there'd be some pretty incredible things foraging to, there. Oh, things to forage sure. there. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome to like go to different places and just make an Amaro based off of the terroir and the climate. Like a flying Amaro maker? Yes. <laughs> kind of like the evil twin uh, beer concept where he goes around. Yeah. That's a great idea. I know. Just getting, you know, TTB approval is the only tricky spot. That'd be a challenge. Yeah, yeah but, but kind of teaming up with local uh, distilleries, lo local yeah. distilleries and yeah. going out and doing like a, a big forage and hanging out with them. It'd Sounds be super awesome. cool. Um, what I keep reading about, there's, there's this really cool, uh, uh, company out of Chicago called soul agent. Are you familiar with those guys? No. Oh, they have really cool, uh, uh, old Italian 
spirits. So oh, I'm yeah. sure you've had like at at Mylino or yeah. Del Posto, mm-hmm. like these like uh, these antique Italian uh, you know amaros um, or quinatos or vermouths. Uh, but they they give a ton of information about uh, about them as well. Which is really, which is really, really interesting. And what you're finding that a lot of these larger brands of Amaro, they're either being bought up, uh, or, or smaller brands are being bought up by larger ones. Yeah. They're changing their the, their formulas. Um, uh, and uh, what I like about this too is like this is truly done in such an old school, handmade <laughs> way. Yeah. Um, that's actually becoming more and more rare, even in Italy. I know. I, you taste, you know, for example, like Campari now versus Campari from the '60s, and mm-hmm. it's night and day mm-hmm. how much the the recipe has changed, or just the flavor profile. Yes. Yeah. Actually, you can buy. Not to. This isn't. I think this is the second time I have to say this. Like, because I'm <laughs> such a big fan of their products, but like, not to. Like, they're not a sponsor, but you can buy like old Soul Age. You can buy old Campari. Like, I have, you know, 1970s wow. Campari that I make Negronis with at so, home from Soul Age. <laughs> You're just a badass. <laughs> I kind of. Yeah. I kind of. Um, uh, but yeah, things. Are, I think things are changing. I like that. I imagine this is not like colored uh, in any sort of way. No. No. Yeah. I really hate when there's like caramel color yeah. added or, yeah. you know, it just, it's, it's so silly. It's so silly. Okay. Let's go back to wine and PRI. Okay. What are some of the, uh, the wine regions that other than like Switzerland that, that you're really excited about, uh, these days? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, focusing on the classics always, mm-hmm. uh, but I love Eastern France. So the Savoie as well, just kind of over the border from Switzerland. Uh, but we have a large sam- champagne selection as well. Yes. So several by the glass, even right? several by the glass, lots of half bottles. Um, we probably have about a hundred champagne selections now, which is perfect wow. for the holidays and, uh, Christmas, New Year's, whatever you celebrate. Um, but and they're not really marked up as well. So it's a really cool place for Psalms, you know, to kind of hang out and get a bottle like almost at cost or a little bit above, which is great. Yeah, Psalms or uh, <laughs> enthusiasts uh, who, just, who just love champagne. I think I really like this move. I think that this is part of a movement of people uh, yeah. making champagne accessible and approachable in, in price as well. And it is definitely like a hit to the restaurant, right? Because you're not taking up. I see your prices. You're not taking the same sort of markup that, you know, that people do on, on normal wines, but I mm-hmm. like that it's encouraging people to, to drink and appreciate these wines. Yeah, we should definitely drink more champagne. And I think it all started with like Laura Manick doing the champagne mm. champagne campaign. And everyone was like, yeah, mm-hmm. why can't we all drink champagne? You know, we don't have to be kings. We can be peasants drinking champagne. <laughs> Oh, I like that. What What do you guys have going on for speaking of like champagne occasions for like New Year's and Christmas? Or, or are there any? Uh, yeah, New Year's we're doing a baller menu. Uh, Chef is really like rolling out the red carpet, and we're pairing it with Krug. So different Krug, uh, vintage, non-vintage rosé with uh, each course. So it is special and super affordable. So I would definitely say affordable Krug. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 even be for cool. peasants? Even for peasants. Yeah, it's going to be great. So that's that's uh, New Year's Eve. Okay, cool. And Christmas Eve we're doing some really fun things with the menu and everything from Switzerland to Morocco to Burgundy yeah. to Bordeaux, so the classics and some new favorites. And are you still continuing your wine education in certain ways? How or how are you continuing your wine education? Just, you know, learning every day and and traveling and doing a lot of writing. Uh, I don't think necessarily my path is to become a master sommelier, although I have a lot of respect for those people that do follow that path. But 
I'm so wrapped up in all these projects and writing and working at the restaurant mm-hmm. and expanding that, that that's my main focus. So tell us more about your writing. Uh, yeah, doing a lot of travel writing, wine writing, beverage writing. I just wrote a book, actually. You wrote a book? That's amazing. <laughs> I wrote a book. Is it's, that breaking news here that you wrote a book? I don't know. It might be. I, you know, I can't say what it's about officially okay. yet. Um, we're going to wait for the publicist to do that. But it'll be out in May. And it's being published by HarperCollins. Oh, wow. Great. And uh, my boyfriend, Lyle, did the illustrations. So it'll be a really fun book. <laughs> wow. I didn't realize that Lyle was an illustrator. Yeah, he actually got his art degree from George Fox. And it hasn't really quite, you know, been used yet. But, uh, I mean, he's designed a lot of the labels, like for his brother, Eric, the Lodi, and for their Railsback Fair wines. Okay. So he finally actually gets to, you know, be an official illustrator now. And uh, he did, I think... A published illustrator. Published yeah. paid illustrator. And you'll own. be a published writer, too. Yeah, published paid writer, which is always good. That's good, too, yeah. So look for that in May, and it's, it'll be great. Okay, all right, we'll look out for uh, for that. And where can we find your, your travel writing and other writing? Travel writing, um, let's see, I just did a piece for Go Journey on Morocco, uh, and then always uh, on my site, getyourgrapebond.com. Get your grape on. Mm. Get your grape on. Is that what it's from? Inspirational, yeah. Yeah, your Instagram is at getyourgrapebond, and every time I see it, I like think of Missy Elliott. Like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of inspirations that went into it. It's supposed to be just fun and, like, convivial. It, it's definitely uh, it's definitely accomplished. Do you have any other uh, wine travel coming up? Uh, yeah, and going to France next month uh, on the Kermit Lynch trip, and we're going all over France, so it'll oh, be great. It should be incredible. I know. I'm, I'm very excited to go to some cool people like Allemand and Raveneau, but also smaller and cool producers like Demande de la, de la Tourvier, mm-hmm. so it'll be awesome. And are you going to uh, Beaujolais as well? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, visiting those, those guys. <laughs> all of those guys. Yeah, it'll yeah. be awesome. The gang of four. The gang of four. Oh my god, that's really, really cool. Those are the wines that Alyssa and I drink the most often at, at home probably, like the Gang of Four, Beaujolais Kermit producers. They're pretty great. And we have a lot on the list at Pure yeah. too, so you'll have to drink it this Saturday. Yeah, well, I'm sure we will. I can't <laughs> wait to come join you this Saturday at Pure. Um... I've only heard amazing things. I think you are the best. I think that Chris is the man. And uh, I've been in the space because uh, you have a no-no wine. So you, no, you no have really good taste. So thank you so much. The space <laughs> is you. absolutely beautiful. Uh, I can't wait for the release of Astromar. I can't wait, wait for the release of your book with HarperCollins. Keep us updated. When these things like, and you can talk more about it, you're welcome to come back on the show anytime. <laughs> thank you, Joe. All right. Victoria James Apiora and Astromaro. Uh, thank you again. Uh, I want to thank the uh, lead engineer over here at uh, at Heritage Radio Network, Dave Tatishore, um, Aaron Fairbanks, and the whole team at uh, at HRN. And thanks to you for listening. And also thanks to our sponsor uh, Bordeaux. Uh, this will be the last show that we're uh, we're taping for uh, for this year. And uh, it's been a great it's been a great year. So I look forward to uh, chatting with you guys in 2017. Thanks again. You guys rock. <laughs> Bye. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.